And here we are. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of RPG R&D. My name is Jess Geyer. I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello. And our special guest co-host, Mitch Wallace. Hey. Uh, <laughs> Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Tell, tell us a little bit about what you're about. Yeah, sure. Uh, I am Mitchell Wallace. Uh, you can find me on all those social medias at Penny for a Tale. I am the marketing director for Helmgast, which produces Cult Divinity Lost, uh, as well as some other cool Swedish stuff. Um, I'm also marketing director for Black Void Games, um, which produces Black Void. Uh, and I have a Kickstarter out right now uh, that's going to be super cool. It's on its pre-launch phase. Uh, and uh, yeah, I go to conventions and I sell books and I, I write. I try to dabble in a little bit of everything. So, but ciao. That's kind of <laughs> in a nutshell. And, and I know you from that dabbling. Uh, I know, right? Like We, we, we have we dabbled, dabbled together. Yeah, there was a lot of dabbling. It was great. It was... I love dabbling. <laughs> oh. yeah. Craig, do you want to talk a little bit about what RPG R&D is all about? And then we can get into our first topic. Um, sure. Um, the, uh, the show has uh, th three parts. And um, with this episode, we are, this is episode eight. So we are hitting kind of the tail end of our initial run of, of segments. With the first segment, we'll talk about GMing stuff. In this case, specifically improvising. We kind of saved... Um, the best for last, but also, I guess, maybe kind of the most daunting for last, or at least most daunting to a lot of GMs, um, especially new GMs, and hopefully this will help some new GMs. And then uh, in, the G, in the RPG design segment, we will talk about the product, the actual uh, PDF or book or card game or board game or whatever type of thing that it is you're, you're putting out, um, and some things to kind of keep in mind for that if you're looking at designing and uh, and publishing and producing something. And then uh, at the end, we'll, uh, Mitch is going to take us down the LARP lane and talk about LARPing. Yes. <laughs> uh, so to start, I guess, uh, improv, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's start with an improv game. I was, was going to say, like, that was the most ironic thing. Yeah. Is that improv, right? Great transition. Uh, great uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, Jess, why don't, why don't you kick us off a little bit with what, what is your experience <laughs> with improvisation? How do you kind of um, incorporate it? Like, what, uh, have, what, what tips and tricks and little things have you found that help you, as a GM, um, improvise and deal with those pesky players who insist on making choices and rolling dice mm -hmm. that screw with your story? Yeah, how dare they? First of all, if you're playing a game, it's really bad for you to roleplay. Let's just stop that and let me tell the story at you. I'm just joking, of course. Um, I have learned something from doing uh, National Novel Writing Month every year. And there are three types of people. There are planners, and they will plan everything out. There are pantsers who will fly by the seat of their pants, and then there are plantsers who are kind of a mix of both. And I find that that third technique helps a lot when it comes to improvisation, like having a little bit of an outline, that sketch about what you're going to do, and then leaving areas open that you will flesh out and have your players help you flesh out at the same time. Um, if you plan everything, you're going to feel like you need to stick to that script you're going to be caught off guard when things go awry. And if you are improvising everything, which you can do, and I have done a couple of times, I've improvised just someone's like, hey, Jess, run a game for us. And I'm like, sure, I always have something off the top of my head. Um, but that's a lot more work, if, especially if you're a new GM. That's a lot of mental work that you have to do. And it's not great if you're thinking about doing a longer campaign because you might slip something up and, and ruin an entire timeline or um, you know, <laughs> leave holes for your players that they'll get lost down on because they think it's a big plot point, but it's really just your red herring that you accidentally put in there that you didn't really want. Um, so finding that little sweet spot, easier said than done, but I always have an outline and just kind of go from there. Yeah, what about you two? Uh, I mean, I, I lean heavily on improv. Uh, um, 
for the most part, whenever I'm running a game, I have like a sentence or two about what I'm trying to do. And then after that, it's just all improv. Uh, and, and even for like uh, kind of uh, tantalizingly teasing the uh, final uh, subject, like we running LARP conventions and stuff like that, like, you know, the whole improv thing is, is kind of the whole game because you want to make the story like personable to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for me, improv has always been about reacting to, to what everyone else is doing. Um, and so it's probably my, my favorite experience with TTRPGs when uh, everyone's kind of just riffing off of each other and creating something pretty, pretty cool and sexy. Um, I used to play uh, in a band uh, and it's just kind of like, you know, just uh, just playing with people and not really knowing what you're playing and just going with the flow and stuff like that. And if you're willing to like mess up every now and then, it's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, being being willing to mess up. Big yeah. Key there. And, and mm-hmm. that's 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 important um, that it's you can't expect the improvisation to go perfectly. There's I mean. As much as you like to think that if you plan it and you plan and plan and plan and plan, you've got all your bases covered, like the players are going to make decisions that are going to go down other roads. And so you're going to hit a point where the plan doesn't cover what they're doing. Um, And so, you know, as much as improvisation can feel like, oh, this is just like I I can't um, come up with something on the fly. I can't deal with that kind of in the moment. You also can't plan for everything so it's it's you it's useful to to have at least some improv skills on your side there's some things that i like to keep in mind and this is coming from a background of having actually um, done street theater and having an improv background and taking taking classes and taught improv like you know like what we think of like comedic improv um is uh you know the simple version is yes and right like whenever somebody offers something up um, unless it's going to, as the GM, unless you determine that it's going to break the story or it's mm-hmm. going to um, uh, allow the characters to circumvent some challenge too easily, um, you can yes, just yes and give the players what they're asking for. If a player, I was literally just working on um, the GM section for a game that I'm working on right now and I was hitting certain things that are like... Uh, touchstones for me when it comes to uh, GMing and it was you know if you're playing a game and the, and the and a player asks is there a parked car nearby they're probably asking that because they have something they want to do with the parked car they want to hide behind it they want to climb inside it they want to see if there's anything in the trunk or they want to hotwire it or something and so if there's not a if there's not a good reason for there not to be a parked car if that's going to cause a problem in the story give them the parked car because the player is going to do something interesting with it. There's, that's probably why they're asking. And so, yeah, it's it's a question of saying yes and. When you say no, um, I like to make sure that it's no but. Don't mm-hmm. just know and shut down what they're doing because that puts the player in the position of like, well, now I have nothing, nowhere to go. I have nothing to do. You've just, you've just shut down everything I'm going to do. Go no but and offer... Um, an alternative or, or, or several possible alternatives. You know, can I swim up the waterfall? No, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could climb up the, the face of the cliff next to the water waterfall to get up to the top of it. Um, I'm just saying, you know, like, assuming you're not in a supers game. If you're in a supers game, you should absolutely, you know, yeah. give, take a shot at sw- <laughs> yes, swimming up yes, the waterfall. Yes, and you look like a dolphin when you're doing it. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, Aquaman. Yeah, so, but no, but. And, um... One qualifier to all of that, too, is um, yes and except when it's going to take the story over any boundaries that you've set as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a player offering to, offering up something in a game um, and uh, that's, that's going to step on a line or a veil or that you know is going to probably make somebody else draw away from the table or make somebody not want to play or make somebody kind of shut down. Um, that it's perfectly valid to give a no but and kind of try to redirect that into something else. And it's not necessarily because the player is trying to cause a problem or doesn't care. It's possible that they've simply forgotten 
that that was a veil or a line or that they've got somebody at the table that uh you know that doesn't want to deal with a particular subject um yeah yeah, yeah just, hopefully you've gone over your safety rules and everything well yeah, enough so, that and, so, so, that so go, go with you know go with what the players offer come up with stuff imagine the best advice that i've I got years and years and years ago, and it's something that I tell people over and over now, and it's 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 written somewhere in pretty much all of my game books, is as GM advice when it comes to improvisation is the players are on your side. They mm -hmm. want you to improvise something interesting and fun, and they are rooting for you, and they will forgive you if you kind of goof something up or if you're maybe not as quick or as imaginative as you're hoping. The players may be perfectly happy, and they're, you know, they're, they want the whole table to succeed and, and for you to, to improvise. And, and, and you know, they'll, they'll forgive things like, oh, it took him a minute to come up with something, or she needed to have us all take a break <laughs> to think about how to deal with something that had been brought up in the game because uh, the GM wasn't prepared um, to immediately improvise and needed to kind of collect their thoughts a little bit. Yeah, the... There, it's a skill too that you can practice um, being better at improvisation. There, you know, go play some Jackbox games with your friends and, and get good at that. Go LARP too. I know we're <laughs> going to talk about LARPing later, but as a LARP advocate myself, I, I, doing it on the fly, where you're not able to just be kind of like, okay, hold on a second, let me think about what I would react as. Like you have to be in the moment and kind of embody a character. And as a GM, you're embodying the rest of the world and you know reacting as they as your players are reacting and and trying to make it as real as possible for them and as fun as possible that's really important for me i i tend to talk <clears throat> um like i i tend to get ahead of myself when it comes to a lot of improvisation i get i like bite off a lot more than i can chew and then i have to like kind of work back and figure out okay how does that make sense this thing that i just said and I don't, I try to avoid those awkward pauses. So when I, when I do outline things, I, I outline like um, what would happen if the players didn't do this? What would happen if the players didn't go into this building to save these people? Um, and that way, regardless of their path of going in to save those people, I know what's going to happen. If they do or they don't, I know something, something that might happen and I can go from there instead of saying, well, they have to go up this way. I've planned it this way and this way. Um, just having that kind of ready to go. Yeah, you just gotta be like Play-Doh and uh, follow the handprint your players put on you. Yeah, I like that analogy. Was, was that Play-Doh Play or Plato? Plato. <laughs> I'm not sophisticated enough for Plato. <laughs> so do you, like, when, Mitchell, when you uh, are jamming, you said that you fly by the seat of your pants all the time. Yeah. Did you start off jamming that way? Or? <clears throat> um, yeah, for the most part, I, I used to plan a lot more. And, uh, or when I say a lot more, really just like a little bit more. Uh, but I found like there wasn't much return for me on those planning bits and mm -hmm. I will go off script and not follow my own plans. Um, and so I'm like, well, I, if I'm really listening to myself, all I need is like a sentence or, or two about the general concept of the thing uh, and then expect that sentence to change um, or just be thrown into the garbage. And then I, I, I just go and, and kind of feel what the, the group is doing. Um, but yeah, it's always been really fun. And I um, I feel it lets me kind of be more like a player because uh, I, I don't know what's going mm -hmm. to happen. I'm always surprised by what other people do. I will laugh at the players for the silliness. Um, and yeah, it just keeps it fresh and nice. Like, uh, was it later tonight? I'll be doing End Times, uh, which is uh, another, uh, uh, it's an indie game um, on Polish Crypt's channel. 
uh, and I don't have anything planned, but it's going to be a <laughs> heck of a time. It's time travel and discount gritty and all sorts of things. But Dis- oh, sorry, discount gritty, like gritty. Yeah, yeah, the the mascot. Of late, I have put gritty in almost uh, all of my TTRPGs that I've been <laughs> game mastering. Uh, if you if you ever watch multiple uh, shows that I run, uh, you will find a common theme of just where my head is at. Uh, and last week it was mascots and, and discount gritty, uh, gritty because we we can't actually get gritty, and I am scared of saying his name. So discount gritty makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he was a time traveling assassin who tried to kill everyone. <laughs> a couple of things to go. It was a lot. It was a lot of weirdness. I don't think that that's something you could plan, either. That's that's another tool for the. Um... For the improv toolbox too is to have have some things that are kind of your trademark as a gm that you're like really you have fun with or maybe it is the thing that you're thinking about that day like i often get into a hole of looking up deep sea creatures and a lot of people who play games with me will find that uh yeah we're gonna encounter a lot of like deep sea abominations all the yeah. time <laughs> mine so. is horror like horror is my default and if if i if i sometimes i have to like put a i have to write down on my sheet like mitchell this is not a horror game stop <laughs> it um but like default i start going down that stairs like in uh cabin in the woods and i'm starting to pick out all the different things that could kill everyone above um, and then I get excited and I run upstairs and play it's a great time. But like, sometimes I have to be like, Mitchell, no, this is D and D like chill, chill out, man. Just chill. Um, this is a game where we're playing cute little woodland creatures. <laughs> oh, yo, God, we, we did, we, we did witch is dead. And, um, uh, at, at the start, I was like, uh, and then about five minutes into it, I played a very creepy rat with like a cult like experience. And it made it even better because the makeup I had was having an allergic reaction to me, or I, I was having an allergic reaction to the makeup. And so my eyes started getting puffy, and I was getting, like, oh. tears down my eyes. And I was just like, this oh is my in gosh. character. My character is just so happy about his <laughs> beloved cult god. Uh, but it was burning the whole time, and I was so glad oh when it gosh. was over. I was just like, ah! Uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited for our potpourri segment. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I want to talk about LARP so bad right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Like improv, it's it's like this. It's really hard to to like give rules for because there's so many non rules for it. But yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I, I think like the the biggest thing like when I when I took improv classes was laughing at yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I try to remember every time I go into a game that this is silly pretend time like and i should laugh at myself and i should totally empathize with someone who sees me and laughs at me too because it's silly to watch uh and just kind of recognizing that it is silly but you know you can still really enjoy something and it be silly at the same time and still deal with like uh horror stuff you know is they're they're all intermingled together in a very unique way specific the ttrpgs um, and so just kind of like, I guess, not taking yourself too seriously throughout the whole process. Uh, mm-hmm. And that especially goes for GMs who, after a game, have that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, oh my God, I don't deserve it. It's okay. Everyone had fun. Just, you know, you, you were great. Uh, something that, again, you know, on the, on the thinking about like, you know, taking what the players are offering and, and running with it. Um, another bit of advice, I've used this many times and players don't need to know, and you don't need to, don't do this all the time necessarily, but there are times when you might have come up with like, here's the plot, here's what, here's kind of what's going on, here's, and and that might've been planned beforehand, it might've been something that you've kind of solidified in your head as you've been playing. Whatever it is, you've got it in, you've got this thing in mind. And then the players are like either in character or out of character discussing what's going on and they're trying to figure things out because players are always trying to figure out what the GM is up to um, and guess the next move and figure out what the villain's going to do and so forth. And if they guess something and they get excited about it and they're wrong, (laughs) change what you were planning. 
Um, not necessarily all the time, but some of the time. Why not do that? Uh, players love to figure out that you know the villain is actually a vampire, even though you laid out clues that don't have anything specifically to do with uh, puncture wounds on the neck um, or uh, uh, yeah. nobody had any crosses on them at the scene or any some of these things but the players somehow extrapolated the information they were given and decided this thing was true or they think it's possible like run with that um and you know the the a great thing you can do with that is reward them by having it be the thing and having them have that moment of discovery and going i knew it and then also subvert the trope whatever it is that that they have figured out like twist something about it into something that's a little different that's a little unexpected so you still get the surprise factor that you can throw at them maybe it's not a vampire maybe they are a psychic vampire or maybe discount gritty like a caring father (laughs) just just take just (laughs) twist the thing into a slightly different direction so it still feels like the thing that people were kind of coming up with and and um you know, the mystery that they think they solved. Um, but there's still also something that is uh, just purely out of your own imagination. And, um, you know, I guarantee you the vast majority of the time, the players will be perfectly fine with that thing, that, that twist that you threw in there because they were mostly right. Yeah. So, and, and they'll be very accepting of whatever it was that you improvised that was kind of a little different. Yeah, and I find myself saying infinitely yes more times in like a modern or horror setting than uh, a fantasy or Pathfinder game. Um, I think there's a little bit more shared rules in uh, a setting. And then horror, like if they want to make life more uh, horrible for their characters, I am having a good time. They're having a good time. And we're all watching it like soap opera, Mm. um, (laughs) popcorn eating fans. so that's what's yeah. been good. <laughs> uh, we want to move on to our second topic. We're at the half hour mark right now. Sure. Well, we're at the 20 minute mark. Oh, 20 minute mark. started yes. a little late. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, all right. So you've got a game. You've designed <laughs> it. You've play tested. You've iterated it. It's the, it's the thing you want it to be. Um, it's, it's been reviewed and cleaned up and tidied up and you figured out what you want it to look like and what kind of illustrations or artwork or photography or stock art or whatever it is you're going to use. And you got some little graphic flair to it so that it's not just big blocks of text all the way from top to bottom, every page. Um, you're done now. You're You're done. done. Your, your work is over. Screamed (laughs) into the void. You're done. Except, except, (laughs) except that you're only, you know, 50% of the way through being a publisher. Well, you're anywhere between 50 and 90% of the way, depending on what you're trying to put out. Um, so uh, 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 let's start. Jess, what, uh, what, what are our options and, and what, can we, uh, what kind of advice can we provide to aspiring designers about things to kind of keep in mind for those different types of products? Yeah, for starters, um, if it's your first ever game, more than likely you are self-publishing. Um, and there are two websites that people often use to publish things um, when it comes to TTRPGs or other other sorts of games like that. Um, that's drivethroughrpg.com and itch.io. Um, whereas itch is used a lot of uh, like smaller indie games use that, although there are a lot of bigger games on there. Whereas like drive through RPG, you can find um, way more of those um, well-known games, but I have my games released on both websites. My free games um, are, are released on both, but Moonpunk's only on drive through RPG because of some contractual issues. Um, but take a look at some of those platforms that you think you might be publishing on and use those storefronts. Don't try to sell on your own website unless you're like super established already. And if you're already super established, don't listen to me. Because yeah, we, we got nothing to tell you. <laughs> I'm not the person to give you advice there. Um, but yeah, take a look at, I would start with those two. I know that there are a couple of others, but those are like the two major ones that I've seen people use. Um, you're, your second op, the other option other than self-publishing would be to sell your product to somebody else for them to sell. Um, that includes a long process of pitching and and sell sheets and networking that um, 
I am not at all an expert in. Uh, so um, start there. And of course, there's always crowdfunding as well. <laughs> Some people only do a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and uh, yeah, if that's like the way that I think a, a lot of people, most people I would say, go when it comes to funding their games and getting them out to an audience. That's, you know, what we ended up doing for Moonpunk. Um, before that, it was Itch and Drive Through. Um, and uh, yeah, kickstarting is its own whole process too. So <laughs> I know we're probably gonna talk about that today, but we're probably not gonna be able to get into too much detail about it. Cause it's, you could write a whole book. I'm sure someone has written a whole multiple book. people have um, <laughs> and and you know in this kind of format Kickstarter is like that's a full episode to yeah just come to, to, to just cover the basics and there are other people who have had those episodes out there you can find all sorts of advice about Kickstarters um, there uh, other other avenues if you um, if you produce um, if you're, if you're producing a PDF, obviously we talked about like drive-through RPG and itch.io are kind of where it's at. Um, there's um, also, if, you, if you're producing um, any sort of physical book, there's, there's a couple different ways to go. You can go print on demand, which is very mm -hmm. common, especially amongst um, people who are just getting started, who have a smaller base, um, indie, you know, small scale kind of publishing houses. Um, and uh, the, the print-on-demand stuff through DriveThruRPG. There's other ways to do it as well, but DriveThruRPG comes with the store built in, so people will come to find the, the, the games there, and they'll find the option to, like, I can get the PDF, or I can get the book, or I can get the book with the PDF. Mm -hmm. um, and it, they'll print, it'll print um, um, a copy of the book just for them, just that one copy. Um, you can also do an offset print run, which is, like, the classic, like, honest-to-goodness, here's a printing press, um, <laughs> um, not the big metal plate ones; those are obsolete. But it's it's the no, digital. It's it's it's, it's the it's the it's the the more technological version of that. Um, and uh, that you know that's something that's built into like it, you're going to get your best price per unit if you're um, producing a lot of books. Uh, and so it becomes a question of whether or not you can handle doing five or six hundred or a thousand or more copies in order to get a decent price and that almost certainly um, for most of us in the indie realm re requires crowdfunding um, I've done it twice um, for um, print runs between 600 and 800 um, and the only reason that the price per unit is reasonable for me is because it was basically covered by the Kickstarter all the extra money beyond um, the, covering the expenses of making the book you know artwork and editing and all that sort of stuff like the ex all the all, all the rest of that money allowed me to print the copies and to ship them and to print extras and have them effectively cost me out of my pocket nothing because the kickstarter covered them um, even though the per unit price probably isn't ideal <laughs> so but mm. the margin is better because it was kind of covered by the kickstarter um, once you have a physical book like that there's some other options as well um you can try to get the game into distribution in some manner. Um, that can happen in a number of different ways. There's um, Indie Press Revolution, which um, and uh, and and Studio Two Publishing, both of which function as consolidators, which is they they take a whole bunch of indie titles and they get them to other distributors and retail uh, and sometimes sometimes retailers directly. They some some of them will sell right to retailers. Some of them will go to other distributors like the big distributors that fill like game shelves in bookstores and game stores. Um, that, like, is that the right thing for you? It all depends on how much it costs you to make the book and whether or not you can sell it to a distributor at a discount and still make a margin. And you're going to be making like a buck or two a book. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe a little more if you're lucky. Depends. Um, that's something that you would have to research and really kind of look at for your individual situation and, and, and what you can get out of that it's a lot of upfront research and spreadsheets and math um <laughs> yes. so if, if that is not your strong suit get <laughs> someone who is better at it to do it for you <laughs> yeah i know i was using uh what is it jeff tidbull's 
Tidbell's uh, game project uh, budget template uh, for my Kickstarter. It was really helpful because I hate numbers so much. And it's why <laughs> I, I partnered up with, with someone else with Penny for a Tale uh, to handle the numbers. So I throw all that stuff at him, but more and more I needed to do stuff on my own. And so that budget really helped me out in, in learning more about that process. Yeah. I mean, don't like, again, we talked about this before, like setting yourself some realistic expectations and knowing what you're getting into ahead of time is so, so, so important before you decide to like buy a warehouse's worth of books. Um, then you have them stuck in your garage because you have nowhere to sell them. And you didn't really plan that out. You didn't realize how little you were going to be making off of it. You're putting yourself in the whole, not, uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, indie game designing and, and, and book publishing, you, you you know, you get rich real quick off of it, right? It's just, oh, I'm you know. rolling. I'm rolling in it. Yeah, yeah. Look at all my knives <laughs> that I bought with my my profits. Um, or or you put out a uh, you you get your first print run done, um, and uh, you have a Kickstarter for it in January, and it funds in February, and you ship in March, and then COVID hits, and now you have 400 mm. books sitting in a warehouse, not selling at conventions. Yeah. And that's a huge, like conventions are really good for, for selling your product. I mean, there's models where you just like you, you sell on Kickstarter and then you sell at conventions and that's just kind of it. Um, just yeah. the, the ability to, if you can get there, it, it can be really profitable if you plan uh, correctly. If it's in your means to, to cover that, that's something that's worth noting as far as the uh, selling, um, getting your product out to people is that conventions um, you can get booth space, table space at a convention. The smaller the convention, the cheaper that will be for you. Um, mm -hmm. Larger conventions, it will cost more money. Um, I know, getting... sometimes. I think, what, Gen Con, you had to pay for chairs? Uh -uh. <laughs> no well, Gen Con. <laughs> a lot of conventions will will give you like a, a couple of things. Like I've done, because I've done this a bunch of times. You get a booth at a mid-sized convention. It's like you get a 10-foot table, two chairs, a waste paper basket. But you can get another table or another chair and the, 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 uh, the, the decorator of the event will will rent that to you <laughs> for an, for an additional fee or you can bring you know you can bring tables and chairs and other stuff too and just oh, load it into your space but yeah. that's more work and that's money you have to you know put toward yeah I, I lost a chair at Gaylord convention uh, in <laughs> DC uh, because I brought my chair and uh, I did not get it back yeah you gotta label stuff that you bring in too know, it's, right? it's now it's now that chair is now free ranging it in the mountains of west virginia yeah, it's, I know, it's, like... it's it's bounding through the wilderness happy and free it has a better life than it had in that convention hall <laughs> anybody would have a better life that's what because i used to uh well before covid i was working with studio two uh for the past two years or a year and a half uh, selling your stuff at like Gen Con, PAX Unplugged, and Origins and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, like hooking up with them, you get that long hallway with all their people and you get to mingle and oh man, it was it was really cool, but a great way to sell because we were selling the Genesis who's like way to get in at that time. The way to play the game, you had to spend $240 to get in. To play the game, that was the entry <laughs> fee, uh, which was a hard sell, but was it was at least exciting to to, to be a part of. But uh, yeah, um, and that's a good point that Mitch brings up too. Is that with uh, with Indie Press Revolution and Studio Two, they also take their games that they are consolidating, maybe your game, um, to conventions, um, and you get a better margin on that. Mm -hmm. um, because they're selling directly to the consumer, so they're charging a higher price. They're not discounting it to give it to a retailer or a distributor who will then mark it up in order to make money. Yeah. Um, and people so, go to conventions. They're there to buy stuff. Yeah. I don't think there's any other reason to go to convention. I haven't found one yet. I just buy go. stuff, play stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. I'm like, I'm buying it. I'm gonna play it. It's awesome. It's great. I'm tired all the time. I, I, I find myself having this 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 fevered dream. This wonderful fever dream of the first, maybe not this Gen Con this year, because I think it's still probably going to be a little light on attendance because yeah. um, of even even late in the year. But like next year, once things are 
hopefully, you know, knock on wood and all that, kind of back to normal. I have this fevered dream of just selling tons and tons of books because all these people will be going to their, you know, convention with their their yeah. pent up their pent up buying power that yeah. they've been sitting on because they've been worried about it and they're suddenly going to be at a big convention again and they're going to be ready to drop some fat yeah. cash. They're going to go ham. They're going to so, go. Here's hoping all uh, all you indie people out there, you know, start giving con- serious consideration to how you can get your game yeah. uh, book into um, the mid to larger, mid size to larger conventions next year when everything's because people are going to be thirsty. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Pax Unplugged, I'm really excited about, but I don't think Modifius is coming. So it's like, if Modifius isn't coming, who else isn't coming to Pax Unplugged, which might be a good opportunity for smaller TTRPGers, but uh, it's kind of like up in the air to see it's December 10th. So trying to figure out who will be there, uh, it is kind of up in the air too, but. Yeah, um, and how weird people will be because I know I'm weird uh, with a lack of human contact for I don't know how many years it's been. Well, it's been a decade, right? It's been a decade. <laughs> um, yeah. But just like touching people's faces, like hi, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be a whole uh, thing. Yeah, that's that's how I feel like it's gonna be really uh, weird and awkward, and people are gonna be really weird and awkward. But is there much of a difference at a game convention? I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much more weird and awkward we can get. Very slim margin there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it might not um, even be quantifiable. Uh, one of the things, uh, going back to the product, one of the things that you probably noticed us talking about are when you are selling your book, if, if you're selling through somebody else and not through your own, like if you're not opening up a trench coat full of your books to someone on this corner... Is You're... that something that happens? Can no. Okay, that would be really cool. It doesn't work very well, but you you can do it. I mean, I'm in Baltimore, so I can just be on the street like, "Hey, you want some of? I got some capers here." And, and have some uh, just, just moonpunk, moonpunk. Yeah, moonpunk. Uh, but people are going to like if you sell through uh, Drive Through RPG, you don't get all of your money. So you will sell your book for $20, let's say. You're not getting $20 from each book. You're you're getting like $11 from each book. It depends on whether it's a PDF or or a hardcover or a softcover, but you're getting getting a a smaller percentage um, than 100. Um, And that the same thing goes for um, like if you're selling your your stuff um, really through anybody else, they're going to take they they also want to make a profit. This is this is how capitalism works. They're mm-hmm. going to want to make a profit. Um, so if they're not, the way to do that is to either raise costs or 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 make you pay more. Like those are your your options there. So again, all of this math and considering the math helps. But so too does your networking uh, because if you if you know people, let's say you want to set up a booth at. I'm not going to say Gen Con because it's almost impossible. Let's say you want to set up a booth at like Origins um, and you know people, you can share booth costs and crowd yourself into one booth and and sell yourself that way. You can join organizations like IGDN. Um, Like there are lots of ways that you can personally cut your cost if you're selling your book and getting it out to people. Plus networking, it doesn't matter how cool your book is, but if no one knows about it and you don't have a way to like kind of advertise or get that out, no one's gonna buy it because they won't. Yeah, it's gone. It. You gotta network like heck. You network, gotta, you gotta market, hustle. market yourself, grow mm-hmm. unashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Find a way to be at least for a period of time each week or month or however you're gonna, whenever you're gonna push it uh, during that month of Kickstarter. Whenever you're at a convention, um, whatever your times are that you're going to, you know, pimp the heck out of uh, your 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 product, your game, your book. Um, just be, be, be unashamed. Be like, you know, I'm, you're, you're putting your, the book is going out there. It is a part of you, right? The book is something that you created. It's something that you made out of love. It's something that you poured a part of yourself into. Why stop at the book? Just go ahead and pour yourself onto the internet or at the booth table. Um, and, and let your passion be known and, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and be unashamed about it because you're going to ha- kind of have to in the indie space. You don't have the professional marketing team and the budget to, to put together really slick ad campaigns and get yep. yourself in magazines yeah. and, and you truly miss 
all the shots you don't take. Uh, I For my Kickstarter that I have right now, uh, Necrobiotic, um, I, I have asked, like, uh, I think the, the most recent one was asking uh, Ivan Norman of, of Hunters Entertainment. I was like, can you just retweet it, please? And it's like, you know, I have no business asking this person for this thing. He doesn't owe me anything. Um, just like, please. Uh, yeah. And he did it. And it was like, awesome. That's really cool. Thank you so much. Uh, but like, just go out there. Like, people are usually more sympathetic to, especially in the indie community, because we're all like struggling. Uh, and, but we do it because we love it for the most part. And then, you know, we get some money to buy McDonald's every other Saturday. Uh, but you know we're all in this together for the most part uh we, yeah. we love each other yeah hey i mean low stakes is based on is inspired by what we do in the shadows when that kickstarter was going on i was tweeting directly to the stars and creators of the show and the movie and the hopes that one of them would go like hey that's neat retweet um yeah you, look you at give, some it a, those give it a shot you never know Look um, at some of those Kickstarters and you find out, oh, how did this game make $50,000? And you go through and you find out that Matt Mercer retweeted them. And that's how they made $50,000. Or yeah. Cap Capers had a giant jump um, a week before the ki the Kickstarter was op uh, finishing up because uh, Geek and Sundry picked it up. Oh, yeah. We, um, we were spotlighted by a YouTuber and we saw a huge uptick in our sales. Oh. Um, so... Low stakes probably owes it uh, a, a big bump from it to um, uh, uh, a couple of different YouTubers um, that kind of like noticed it and and, and posted some stuff up yeah. about it because I mean, it, I think it, it, it just you know like and it's it's and it's just a question of putting the thing out there in enough different ways that every so often somebody that has a little more reach than you or a lot more reach than you mm -hmm. um, finds it and says hey this is neat. This is cool. I'm going to share this. Yeah. Um, and so be best friends with influencers. You, you can't. You can't. You can't get there unless you uh, are willing to just kind of uh, just Schmooze. throw yourself out there and, and give it a shot. <laughs> um, and you yeah. can do. And you can do that in person and networking at conventions and at booth tables and so, that sort of stuff. And you can kind of do it quietly and semi anonymously from behind your computer screen too. That's okay. Just do it. If that feels a little safer for you, do it that way. That's fine. <laughs> do the thing. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Oh, and if your game has uh, like custom cards or dice, there are ways to do that as well. Um, both more expensive ways that are yeah. in the United States and then more ex less expensive ways that are done outside of the country, but that have their own uh, special challenges as well. You can get, you know, you can basically get anything you want printed on a card. You can get anything you want printed on dice um, for, uh, for the right money. Oh, and a note about, uh, Jess made the comment about um, the fact that you, you don't get the whole $20 of the $20 book. Um, there's a cost to to having you know having that storefront there's a percentage that goes to the distributor or to the retailer or to the the online storefront or whatever um so even if you are selling your game mostly if you've got physical books and you've got to you've got to get those out to people if you're selling those just through your website um there might be a warehousing and fulfillment cost that you're paying to keep the stuff in the warehouse and store you know 10 bucks a month to store store a, a couple of boxes or something and the cost to to ship stuff even if you're doing it all from home mm -hmm. there is the postage cost and the fact that you have to purchase um packaging and that you have mm -hmm. to spend the time um and so there's a cost there there's the cost of your time to spend putting everything together and printing out mailing labels and putting them on boxes and stack you know putting it all together and hauling it all down to the the post office or, mm -hmm. or getting it wherever it needs to go so and you should really really think about think it think about all you, of that before you make the decision to do that all from home think about how much your time is worth because the time that you're spending putting stamps on things is time that you could be spending playing a game or making another game I, I struggle with that all the time. Yeah. I've had many people tell me that I do so many different things. And I have on a number of, of occasions said, like, during the course of the past five years, I've been like, okay, I'm putting the hall, I'm putting the brakes on this and this. I'm not doing this anymore or I'm scaling this down. Because if I keep doing these things and I keep eating away a little bit more of my time, I'm going to run out of time to design a game. Mm-hmm. You also need that time to recharge mentally so you can get yeah, your Yeah, and to, to get the hell away from it for a couple yeah. of weeks every now and then. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, like today, uh, today at one, no, at, today at two, I uh, had a game, and then at four, there was a game, uh, and then I am, of course, here in this beautiful place, and then afterwards, <laughs> there's a game, uh, and then tomorrow, there'll be more games, and then Sunday, I will pass out, but till then, coffee. I have nothing to do tomorrow, oh, amazing. <laughs> except for continue figuring out how I'm going to lay out Nowhere Bill. Oh, man, good luck. <laughs> um... So that's a whole bunch of product stuff. Yeah. I want to talk, let's talk about LARPs. Yeah. <laughs> Take so, it away, Mitch. Yeah, Mitch, you played Dystopia Rising. I played Dystopia Rising. What other LARPs have you played or do you uh, play? Yeah, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Vampire the Requiem, Changeling the Lost, uh, Mage the Awakening, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Werewolf the Forsaken. Uh, of course, there's Dystopia Rising. Uh, I've done a couple of medieval uh boffer larps uh one in north carolina and about three over here in the dc area um yeah i think that's about it um but yeah it's it's kind of what got me into ttrpgs um my friends invited me to a 4e game and i thought it was decent and then i went back home uh and i watched a horror movie about larpers gone crazy and then i was like that's something for me that's that that speaks to me and so i went larping and i i went there with all my armor i spent like five hundred dollars to prepare myself uh because i was a, a kid without like any savings and so i didn't care about it <laughs> uh and yeah it was, it was fun and larping oh god it's so so good <laughs> it is it is just okay it has a really bad rap too because even among ttrpg players they a lot of them look at larpers like okay like you're what weird. are you doing i know yeah. right <laughs> they've seen the lightning bolt thing which oh, by God. the way it's that's fine that's how a larp when you think this person actually thinks that they're throwing lightning bolts at people no that is this little packet full of bird seed that they're throwing at somebody to represent <laughs> a spell it's no different than when you're saying i cast magic missile on and you're, yeah, who doesn't and you're wanna... marking off that from your spell book. Yeah, yeah who doesn't want to hit someone else with a, a, a little pack of pellets? Like, that sounds exciting <laughs> uh -huh. and amazing to me. For a weekend after a rough day at the office, it's like, oh, it's like pelted. Like, get him. It's so fun. Plus, it's like a little bit more physical than, um, although you can play LARPs too, even if it, like you have a disability or or if you're, you're not really like in a, you should, like you, like pick the pick the larp that's good for you, yeah. but but it's a little bit more physical than usual. So you, a lot of times you're out running around in the woods or running around in someone's house, uh, depending on what. I play a lot of boffer larps outside. Yeah, so. boffer parlor like like parlor is more of a social thing. But even then, you like you're you're moving around. You don't say my character walks up to someone else or my character does a seductive pose. You actually do that seductive pose and you say so. <laughs> It's very seductive. Uh, yeah, this is my like. <laughs> if you guys want me to sell your books, this is how I'm going to do it. So it's just like that. Um, Hot. But yeah. <laughs> Hot. Very. Uh, but yeah, it's like uh, you, you could do so much. Um, and it, it's really fun um, because I, I think when you come to TTRPGs from a LARPer's perspective, you're just looking at ways to make drama, which is really what LARP is about because mm -hmm. there usually is like one game master or something per like 20 people. Mm -hmm. And so your fun is going to be created by the experiences you share with other people for the most part. Um, and so learning how just to kind of go with that is I think one of the yeah. cooler things about LARP. I've had whole game sessions, like, like whole LARP days where I never even really interacted with any NPCs mm -hmm. or, or game runners. And I was just with my other PC friends were like having a good time, having a little cookout and being in character. I played baseball in character at Dystopia Rising. I, I played a Lascarian. So uh, that character in the daytime, you have to be covered head to toe. Yeah. Um, otherwise you get like some negatives that happen to you. Um, so I played baseball in a the 80 degree heat dressed up as my character because that was the fun thing that I would be doing at that time. And it was a blast. I, I was just having so much fun being basically a little kid running around and enjoying myself. It's, oh, yeah. If you haven't tried LARPing, I, I really do highly recommend it. It's not like what people say. 
it is really nerdy, but in all of the best ways. Yeah, just just remember, it's a play funny pretend time game. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't get more sillier than that. So mm-hmm. just just roll with it. Silly's cool. <laughs> Silly's awesome. Oh, it can be also really dramatic too. Like there, I cannot so count the times that I've I've cried <laughs> during a LARP. Um, whereas during a TTRPG, I've cried maybe one or two times because yeah, yeah, LARPs tend to like just the the emotional resonance in there. I, I remember in Dystopia Rising, uh, the hospital was getting attacked and everyone was dying around me, and I see one of my friends. He's uh, bleeding out on the ground next to the hospital, and he's calling my name, and I try to go rescue him, but then a zombie comes, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can mercy kill you. Otherwise, I'm going to the forest. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. It's it's um it's been a lot of fun um just playing those games and making you make a lot of friends because you're there with dozens of other people rather than like maybe six or seven people mm-hmm. at your table for a TTRPG. People come in and out all the time, so you get to meet new people. And a lot of games require you to both be a player and also an NPC on certain shifts. So yeah. it's good practice to to like be on both sides of the of the table, quote unquote, um, where you're practicing your skills of being a good team player and also being a good facilitator for other people and have, helping them have fun. Yeah. Um, and you also get to dress up. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the coolest parts ever. Like, Boffer LARP, and, well, specifically Parlor LARP, like, the, the amount of clothes <laughs> I've bought for that whole thing was <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, but, like, when, what other time will I get to purchase a cowboy hat? Like, I don't think I have a, a legit reason to do so other than the environment of a LARP. Um, and same for yeah. Boffer LARP, like, chainmail <laughs> armor and leather armor and, you know, mm-hmm. just you like to look at it and know that it's well-worn and gone through many battles (laughs) yeah it's yes or like the amount of fake blood that you get to buy i know right (laughs) it's i have um i got rid of a lot of my larp stuff because i just don't larp as much anymore and i had boxes full of costumes um but the amount of times i would go into halloween stores and just buy things saying oh this would be a cool character so I guess try LARPs unless you're one of those people that likes making new characters all the time and, yeah. You're, yeah, and you no. don't have a lot of money. Because uh, you don't want a new outfit every week. That's going to kill you. Uh, that's That student loans kill you. <laughs> you so, can spend a lot of money on that. Yeah, watch... Not that you have to. Yeah. But you know, usually you have to pay like an entry fee to get into your LARP and you got to buy your costume. and You got a question? Yeah. Well, what's up? Hi, I'm new to LARPing. And I've heard people talk about bleed. Oh, God. What uh, is bleed? Uh, so, so like, especially for LARP, at a table, there is a degree of separation uh, because you're not actually doing the things that your character is doing. Usually, when you're talking to another character, you're either looking at the, the board or you're kind of haphazardly looking over there like that. Um, and you're certainly not you doing the physical social cues that are represented within that conversation. Uh, with Boffer LARP and Parlor LARP, it's it's different because a lot of our uh, the information we get in terms of emotion comes off of like the physical cues that someone will have. And so there's more information passing between people. And so I think in that instance, bleed is a lot easier to kind of simmer on in and, and bleed being like, I, I know you're playing a character, but it still hurts me uh, emotionally and it, it makes it unfun. That's kind of lead where you start to like afterwards have a negative feeling towards someone based on their character's actions. You or kind an of, overly kind of, positive feeling. Right. You or kind of take positive. it with yeah. you because mm-hmm. the emotions are heightened um, yeah, you, in a LARP you, you can't as opposed to typically um, where they're less heightened at, at a tabletop kind of situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've heard, I mean, I've, heard, I've heard people that, you know, who are particularly sensitive people to begin with. And if they, they LARP a lot that they, they find themselves like, you know, the, 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 com- the, 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 the come down after LARPing can, um, can be emotionally draining. Um, so yeah. I guess be aware of your own sensitivity levels and what sorts of things can kind of get to you. Um, oh, and just yeah. be, just be prepared for that, um, 
Plus, yeah. you're going to be, like, physically and mentally tired by the end, so your capacity for handling emotional anything is going to be lessened because, you know, your your whole pool is depleted. You were on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're time. putting a lot of emotional energy into it. I've, I've heard people describe it as, like, doing a going to a LARP for a few hours um, and staying in, and being involved the whole time, like not taking breaks and walking away from it. If you're, if you're kind of involved yeah. the whole time is similar to running a very animated four hour game session as a GM where you're mm-hmm. always kind of on. And so yep. you're, and so when you come away from it, you are kind of drained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it's 24 seven. Uh, and like having someone in your face, uh, yelling at you, calling you stupid or saying, I want to murder you and bury you in the backyard. Um, it's like, Holy crap. This person is saying this to me, but you got to disassociate and be like, this is character saying it to my character. It's not, which is kind of, there's some good practices to have. Um, yeah. If you I, go into a LARP and they don't do any kind of safety rundown at the beginning, leave turn around and go away Uh, yeah you you gotta have safety like knowing knowing how to approach stuff and letting people know and uh god like also talking with people out of character really helps so that you start Mm -hmm. to get to know like hey that person's not an asshole is this a mature channel i don't know uh (laughs) this person's not a butt um they just play a butt um and it's not a true representation of how they feel about me um and like the same way it goes the opposite way of positivity which i'm I'm glad you said that jessica is um i know a lot of uh women in the ttrpg world can have guys or or people attracted to them who feel that there's something going on in the lart but can't disassociate it from the the actual player like you know it's it's cool playing romance in any game like romance is fun like we all enjoy the storylines that are associated with with romance um but you know you got to learn that there are boundaries and Mm -hmm. and and barriers and stuff like that and you got to respect it and understand that when you're off of the larp area that you 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 leave that character there Mm -hmm. um and hopefully you you be friends or however you guys uh, agree to to take it from there but yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that happens a lot. Um, I can say as as a a woman in LARP, um, and yeah, they're they're just like the emotional resonance of it. Um, it, it can. I think that that's why there are a lot of people who think that people really believe that they are their LARP. Like that's the trope. I just listened to this um, podcast. They were talking about a. Uh, they were comparing LARPing to QAnon, and oh jeez, and it made me mad. It made me really mad because I was like, it's not comparable. It's it's not. And saying that is a harmful stereotype. I feel like there are people who get too serious about it and can't really, you know, dissociate themselves from their characters. Um, but that is not the problem of the game because that can happen in, you know, in anything like, you know, yeah. no, no matter what you're doing, if you put too much of yourself into it and you don't have a healthy balance, it just like everything else is going to fall apart and, and not be healthy for you in the long term. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's funny that it's funny. It's funny, sad that um, LARP is getting that kind of a reaction even even amongst a lot of role players who themselves have either lived through or know very well the mazes and monsters and the satanic (laughs) panic and the jack chick uh, tracts and like like just all of the misattribution of what rpgs were um that had to do in some cases with like well this is all you know it's satanic or it's it's all um like people are are losing themselves in the fantasy and it it's yeah it's not the game folks <laughs> it's not no. no and it's a it, the larp is a very beautiful place for you to explore different aspects of yourself um in an environment that is hopefully safe um i know for me like trying on different outfits even like feminine outfits or feminine presenting outfits mm-hmm. based yeah on i was just gonna society. say gender exploration yeah, gender exploration is great. Like trying to figure out like, 
you know, and, and I don't I don't have an opportunity in this society without judgment to to wear uh, feminine presenting clothing um, in a safe place out there. It's horrific. Uh, but in a LARP setting, like you're, you're free to be that and you're, you're free to try out being charismatic, suave, um, aggressive, intimidating, all the things you kind of want to try out and can't find a safe place. LARP is a great safe place to do that. I'm going to throw this out there really good. It's worth the watch. John Arcadian um, did a TEDx talk um, titled Tabletop Role-Playing Games as Social Practice. And in the talk, he discusses how kids use make-believe as a way to pretend to be different types of people to help them figure out who they are. And that's exactly what you're talking about right now, mm-hmm. is exploring yeah. who you are through these safe outlets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of difficult for adults because we're, we're trained to believe that like that experience has ended. Um, but you're constantly and should be constantly trying to figure out who you are, uh, like long, long and throughout the decades, like it's a whole life process of exploring the different facets of you. People are complex individuals. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a nice place to go. If you think you know who you are, it's because you stopped looking. Exactly. There's some weird shit down the road for Mitchell and I don't know (laughs) where it's going, uh, but I'm going to go down that road and see where it takes me. It's going to be weird. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, and then you get to hit your friends. Like, come on. Yeah, that's always how I pitch it to people. You get to hit your friends. <laughs> I, I've done... Um, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> that's how I pitch Dagger here to people. It's not quite a LARP, but... Yeah, it's like, look, you, you see that guy? You get to hit him, all right? <laughs> yeah, and it's... And it's okay because yeah. these things—they're they, not supposed to hurt that much. <laughs> yeah, they—they they, they don't hurt and everything. It's all fun. It makes the whole thing so much better. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, hitting people's fun. Like yeah, Lark, kill your friends. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, I will, I really want to play now, but I know, right? Pandemic. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I didn't think about that. Like the yeah. where we're at right now, and now 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 everybody's Jones into LARP, and you're like, oh, oh god, yeah, hang in yeah, there, just, hang in there, it's coming. The LARPs are just gonna swarm like people. Mm. Uh, but maybe one day, maybe another decade or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> However long it takes. When I'm old and gray. Wait, I'm old and gray. Um, old and silvery. I am. I'm gray. I've I've uh, I've given up the ghost. I know. I know exactly how old I am. <laughs> I am no longer salt and pepper. I am mostly salt. Well, salt's good. You know, I only pick up salt at the table for the most part. <laughs> oh boy, is that a, is that is that a show? Are we? I, I think so. This has been a lot of fun, Mitchell. Thank you so yeah. much for coming and talking to us. And oh, anytime. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have anything that you want to pitch? Any plugs you want to plug? Yeah, uh, so uh, Penny for a Tale LLC, um, we do, uh, for the most part, streaming. Uh, we have a partner channel, Weave the Tale, and we have an affiliate channel, uh, Penny for a Tale. And we also do marketing for TTRPG companies, uh, including Helm, Gas, Black Void Games. We do Imagining Games uh, and a few others. Um, we also sell at conventions. We write, we do art direction, anything you need. Just come talk to us. It's great. Uh, and right now we have a Kickstarter Necrobiotic, uh, which is on the pre-launch page right now. Uh, an amazing game straight from Italy that we are translating and giving a nice flashy upgrade. This is the original book, uh, but it's a card-based system as well uh, called the Gear System uh, straight from Italy. So check it out. Uh, I'm super excited for it. And there's some cool animations and art for it too. So. When awesome. when do you do you have a Kickstarter launch date for that? May twelfth. May twelfth. Um, so keep that in mind, everybody, because some people will be listening to this in uh, video or podcast form uh, around about that time. Going to run for a month or so. Yeah, one month. Exactly. So May twelfth to about that time the next month. Um, keep an eye out for Necrobiotic. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys. You can you can find me on Twitter at, at @jaska. I don't have anything else to plug. <laughs> um, I'm Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games. I am at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter, and um, we might be uh, Kickstarter buddies. Um, is the twelfth? Is that is that a uh, is that a Tuesday or a Wednesday or what day of the week is that? 
Uh, I think that's a Wednesday. Okay, so I think I'm launching. I'm plan hoping. I'm planning to launch on the Tuesday. So, tentatively yeah. May 11th. Yeah, that and that's the day, May 11th. Let me um, know, man. I will up no, put, a, put a thing on my thing. And, Nowhereville know. will will go if if all goes well with the final steps that I'm under. That's awesome. It will go somewhere. It will. It, <laughs> and, and if it doesn't, it will sit for a little while and and it'll go a little later. Because <laughs> um, that can happen sometimes too. Because the great thing about being an indie game designer is, for the most part, you know, you're kind of on your own schedule. The game is ready when the game is ready. Yeah, um, you do what you want. If you're uh, if if you're doing it on, as a side gig, you can kind of you can you can plan for that. So, um, what will we be talking about in upcoming episodes? Jess and I are hard at work figuring out uh, some of the uh, topics and themes that we'll explore. Um, we're probably going to deep dive a little more uh, into very specific things having to do um, with uh, with RPG design um, and with GMing. And we'll be finding all sorts of other interesting guests to join us on that and perhaps start to you know have some repeats too if we find uh, the right topic for the right people. And we'll see what happens. It's uh, this If you listen to this one, this was kind of hitting improv and uh, the product for uh, design go back and listen to the previous seven episodes um, because we take you through all sorts of other steps um, and advice about GMing as well as the process of kind of going from your game idea to the product that we talked about in this episode so I yeah think and if there's it. anything you want to hear us talk about hit us up you you know where to find us on pvp on the social pvp pvp that, that that's something we could maybe talk about put it on the I've list i've been Jess. in many a kill box and it has been an amazingly awesome time people should kill each other's characters more often i am going uh, to write that down actually with that said we're going to start rolling some dice and killing off each other's characters uh have a nice evening everybody <laughs> bye, bye.